Hi, my name is Adam, and I have never seen, pause for dramatic effect, Pulp Fiction. I know, I know. Welcome to Fine, I'll Watch It. My name is Bridget. I'm Johnny. Adam. Oh, she's supposed to introduce yeah. Adam, of course. Well, I've already Adam. introduced myself to a certain extent. So, you know, I said I said my name was Adam up top and that I've never <laughs> seen this movie. Yes. So uh, we are watching with Adam for the first time today, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction from 1994. Um, so 1994, big year for movies mm-hmm. in general. Right. Um, so I guess we can maybe give you a little bit of a pass because you were trying to complete all of the other movies that came out in 1994. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's clearly, of course, why you missed this. Um, but Adam, I'm curious... How how did Pulp Fiction escape you? Do you was there a strong feeling about Quentin Tarantino either way? Like, what's your so, relationship or non-relationship? I guess. So 1994, as and uh, as you mentioned, was a big year for movies. That's one of the things I know about this movie is that uh, people say it should have beat Forrest Gump for the Academy Award, and that's long been a, a belief of many cinephiles that that was a an injustice by the the academy. So that's one of the things I know about this movie. Um, and I love Forrest Gump. Um, so I don't know that this will, I'll be in that camp necessarily by the end of tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what would have, I don't know how it would have come into my knowledge at the time. Obviously 94, I would have been a young person as we've all established. We are, you know, in our thirties. So I, I wouldn't have, you know, that wouldn't have been a thing I would have seen at the age of seven or whatever it was. Um, So clearly would have missed it in 94. And then I think by the time it got to that point where other people that I know had seen it or like, you know, by the time high school or college came around where that would have been the time where I theoretically would have gotten around to seeing this, given that I know it's a hyper violent or at least assume it's a hyper violent, like hard R type movie. Uh, by that point, everyone was like, it's the best movie of all time. Oh my God, it's the greatest movie. It's there's, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen it. It's the best movie. It's seriously, no other movie's ever been better. No ever, other movie ever could be better. It's the, the altar to which all movies wish they could be. And I was just like, no, it isn't. It can't be. Sounds like, like you're hanging just, around a lot of educated people. <laughs> yeah, it's just, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things that, you know, people it hold it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think at that point, once I had kind of gotten beaten over the head with it a few times, I was just like, no, I don't care. Like, I don't care. I just, and it almost came like a defiant stance uh, at a certain point. Right. So this is very much a, a thing that I'm begrudgingly doing. And earlier today I was thinking about it. It's like, am I excited for the episode? Yes. Yes, I am. Because I'm excited for the, the conversation that we're going to have before and the conversation we're going to have after but I am not at all looking forward to watching this movie because I just, wow. I wow. don't, yeah, I, it's, it's going to be hard. Strongest, 
this yeah, is, but the is it gonna... anyone has felt since Santa Claus. Right. About... Yeah. And this is and this is before. So. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, Adam, I mean, don't you feel it's going to be sort of like a cathartic experience, like getting this weight off of you finally? I mean, this is kind of we've watched a lot of movies. I mean, I'd have to say between maybe this and Jaws, this is kind of like the big whale and not to pun it with Jaws or anything. But I mean, this is a big movie. And I can understand that so many people over the years have given you just such shit for not seeing this, that you just were just completely over saying, I'm sorry, I haven't watched it. I mean, maybe at some point you started lying to them, so you just avoided the conversation. Um, but it is one of those movies where I think most people would be uh, embarrassed to say that they had not seen it, especially maybe in our generation. Yeah, I don't I don't know if cathartic's the right word because I'm, I'm really afraid that I'm, in addition to you know all of the arguments or all of the discussions that I would have had previous to this of why I hadn't seen it or why I really was reluctant to go forward seeing it that you're not going to like it that i'm not going to like it and then that's now a different conversation i'm going to have and not the 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 conversation about not seeing it is just like eh, it doesn't look like it's a thing for me i'm not going to see it and most people will at the very least be like all right that's fair i mean you know it's been around you probably know a decent amount uh it's you know okay whatever you should watch it though but now it's going to be like a well you're stupid you don't like it how could you not like it what about this what about this john travolta does the dance with his fingers like it's the craziest thing like and i i don't know that i'm prepared for that after yeah <laughs> i think maybe like in our college era when everyone was sort of watching this and it was in everyone's dvd player or what have you that it was like this is the best movie ever you gotta see it it has, it has everything it has everything you would want to see in a movie and um, but I think at this point I have run into a number of people that would say that this is not overrated, but I mean, it's just the fact that Quentin Tarantino has turned out so many other good movies, arguably, um, that this sort of muddies the water a little bit of the conversation of why you haven't seen it. I mean, you could be like, I haven't seen this, but I've seen Django or, you know, Inglourious Bastards and not get such the heat that you've had. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, as far as your history with Quentin Tarantino and maybe you're reluctant to see the movie because maybe you think you're not going to like it. Is that because you don't like his, uh, his filmography? So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this because it's, are we just going to have like 10 more episodes to watch? Kind of. Uh, I've never seen Reservoir Dogs, which okay. I know is a big, is a big, you know, miss. Right. So that'll be a future episode. It'll be a whole saga of Adam watches the good Tarantino movies. Uh, because the first Tarantino movie I ever saw, and some people say this doesn't count, but it was Death Proof. I knew you were going to say that. Um, you know, a lot of people say it doesn't count because it's part of Grindhouse and it's a different thing and it's not like... He doesn't even I count it. I say it counts. Yeah, I say I... it counts too. He he signed on to that project to make this movie as a love letter to these kinds of films. Um, and I think part of the reason I didn't like that movie you can judge whether or not you think it's actually good. I did not enjoy it, but I think it's because I, re I saw it in theaters with as like the full grindhouse experience. Feature, yeah. Yeah. And so I really liked uh, planet terror. Uh, it just seemed like more of my style of movie. And I, by the time it got through that, which was, what is it like an hour 10 or something like that? Like it's not a full... like shorter type of movies. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time I got through that and like all the trailers and all like the in-between bits that I really enjoyed, Death Proof started and I just immediately got bored. Uh, and it's not even, and a lot of people will, will say to me like, well, you, I guess you just don't like, you know, the dialogue heavy nature that Tarantino thrives on. 
um, which I don't agree with. I love super dialogue heavy expositions. Like, um, thank but, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I that much I know of uh, going into this. So like, I don't mind a dialogue heavy thing. It's just nothing in that was uh, like engrossing. It didn't keep me invested. It was just a lot of like, arguing. So I saw I saw that. And I didn't like it. And that, you know, was immediately now digging the heels in on not seeing Pulp Fiction. Because I'm like, this Tarantino guy, I don't know, guys. I saw <laughs> yeah. I saw Death Proof, and that was hot garbage. So uh, Pulp Fiction can't be good. So I think that probably started the heels digging in process. Uh, I've seen Inglorious Bastards, which I liked. I don't really remember a lot of it. but Because I think I like was watching it with people, like, you know, at a friend's house. And so it was... I was able to pay attention, but, you know, everyone's doing their own thing, and it wasn't the true, like, you know. I mean, I would say in general, Tarantino movies are not meant to be put on the background. I mean, they're just, you really have to pay attention. You got to be invested in it. Yeah, no, and I mean, I was when we watched it, but you you know how things are when you're not, like, in the theater. People are, you know, having their asides and their quips and, and all the other things. And I was also, I think, the only person in the room who at that point had not seen it prior so it was a you know a different experience in that regard, um, but I liked that movie. I thought it was good. I enjoyed all the performances. You know, Brad Pitt was good. Uh, you know, um, Eli Roth was good. You know, everybody in that was. I I really enjoyed that story. And so I kind of came around a little bit. Uh, and then I didn't see Django. I didn't see uh, what was the one. It's it's we're all in a cabin and it's snowing outside. Hatefully. Uh, uh, um, I didn't see that, and then I saw Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, and I thought it was fine. Oh, I didn't... so you did see the newest one? Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I saw that one um, when it came out. I thought it was fine. I was a little like I didn't care so much about the like the Sharon Tate subplot, and we won't get obviously into the nitty gritty of the other movies, but you know, I didn't I didn't care so much for that aspect of it. So the fact that it then became all about that at the end, like took me right out of it to where I was like, oh, this could have been really, really good. And it's just fine. Like I wasn't mad. I watched it. Sure. Um, but I think that's my experience with it. And I know this he's got what, 10 films now, nine films. So if you don't count Death Proof, which actually he doesn't because for the sake of numbers or what have you, I mean, Hateful Eight was like the eighth movie. And oh. he did uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was the ninth. And his intention is, at least that what he says, is that he'll make a tenth movie, mm-hmm. his last movie, and then he wants to, I don't know, just become Stephen King and live in the woods or something. I don't know what he wants to do. But, um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for, I guess... For all sakes, yeah, it, it this uh, this would be like the second movie, I guess, that he made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so but I mean, I think mean, I, I think you I, I think we're gonna say though is I think you you have your hands around what a Tarantino movie is, like what to expect, the sort of touchstones, things that you're gonna expect in this movie, or, um, I mean, his sort of like love for you know everything hyper stylized the. You know, the language, the violence, um, you know, messing around with narrative and and uh, time. Yeah, I mean, I, I got somewhat of a handle on it. And granted, the newer stuff, and I've, you know, I've heard people say this and I've heard it talked about and written in articles about all of the newer movies is that it's, oh, it's not the same as older Tarantino. That's like a different genre of Tarantino movies, so to speak. Sure. Uh, because they have some of the same DNA, of course, but it's not. You know, comparing Hateful Eight or Inglorious Bastards to like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction is almost apples to oranges in terms of 
um, like the quality that most people would elevate, like they would elevate Reservoir Dogs, they would elevate Pulp Fiction, and probably put the other ones like in the good range, but all smush them together in that like, you know, C plus, B minus maybe, whereas the earlier stuff is the, the A, the A, you know, product. Yeah, I mean, what I found um, is that a lot of fans of Quentin Tarantino's have like their own way of sort of ranking these movies. Like, I don't, I, I know you see like a sort of tier of, of of Tarantino, but I think a lot of people like you'll find people that absolutely think Kill Bill is the best Tarantino, like, or that Reservoir Dogs is the best movie he's ever made, and he hasn't made a better one since. Um, many, many people love Jackie Brown, um, mm. which is a movie that I think a lot of people sort of it just fell between the cracks between. I think between this and Kill Bill, I think is when it came out in '97 or something, um, and that's probably the most cloudy of the movies for me. I I, I know I know I like it when I watched it, um, but just the exposure of it, it's like almost never on TV, and I don't have a Blu-ray or anything of it. But um, a lot of people say that that's his best movie. So I don't. There's not really like a popular opinion about what his best. I think. If you really had to say, I think most people would say this is this is his magnum opus, that this is his best movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether that's objectively or subjectively in the world of uh, Tarantino, I think there's a, a lot of arguments there. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, th- I think that's part of the fun, too, from and obviously not being a Tarantino fan. I feel like that's part of the the experience of being a Tarantino fan is that you get to dissect and discuss these things because these all. Uh, I believe all mostly take place in the same like connected universe. Is that right? Am I right in that? Or at least, or is that up for debate as well? There's so with the later stuff, there's sort of theories that you're looking at like this sort of Tarantino timeline where all these different sort of historical events play into one another, which like you could say, yeah, but I don't know. I sometimes feel like it's like an IMDb trivia page stretch. Mm -hmm. Like it's a reach. Like there are things that show up. Um, I think, I think the best way to sort of look at his filmography is to like, think that, okay, you have now been invited into the twisted mind palace of Quentin Tarantino. Like Mm. each film is like kind of a different door. And I think the reason that, Pulp Fiction gets ranked the highest is it's the lobby of Quentin Tarantino's Mind Palace. It's like, a very good way to put it. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Like it's you there's bits of sort of what he had already done, what's yet to come, um and you sort of see all the sort of he's remixing I think a lot of uh his own cultural influences and you can kind of see it all in this one yeah you you see a lot of stuff that it recycles he loves like these insert shots of you know people picking up burgers or like what have you and if you're mm-hmm. like food he loves a lot of food there's a lot of food scenes in a lot of his movies um but I mean as far as like a connected like universe I mean it's probably as close to like you guys know about like Pixar sticking that truck in like every single movie. It's about as close as that. You know what I mean? It's just, okay. and, and that a lot of these movies too, they don't really cross timelines. I think Pulp Fiction and like Reservoir Dogs, maybe Jackie Brown live somewhere in the same setting of LA around the same time. But beyond that, you got Glorious Bats of World War II. You got, you know, I think Hateful Eight's like at the end of the Civil War. Um, and then obviously 1969. So, I mean, they don't really cross time lengths per se or scenes or anything like that. But I think a lot of like the things that people come to expect from a Tarantino film, they'll get a kick out of like when he does like a particular camera move or a particular 
he did love snap zooms. I mean, he, every one of his movies has like these quick snap zooms, and that's always like, you know, in Django and Chain, where it snaps to Leo's face in the part where he's smoking a cigarette. I mean, before that, there's five other movies of Tarantino's that he does that. So people get a kick out of that. Yeah, I know it's not it's not the MCU or Star Wars, but of course, yeah, uh, you know, but <laughs> I, I've at least heard enough. Like, there's a connected through line of either stylistically or of or thematically or you know and that's where i think the the mind palace analogy kind of ties together the bits and pieces that i've heard from people who have seen every one of them multiple times and have you know read the think pieces or wrote the think pieces and like dissected this um so i think from just from what i know that that analogy seems like it fits given what i've heard other people say now bridget what about you what's your uh What's your Tarantino history? Um, I think this was probably the first Tarantino movie I saw. I was thinking about it today. I'm like, when did I first see this movie? And I don't know if this was the first time, but on my 15th birthday, my like mom let me have two of my high school friends uh, sleep over, and she gave me money. She's like, you guys go get dinner we went to Chili's and I remember sitting down with the two of them I swear this is going somewhere (laughs) sitting down with the two of them at Chili's which was right across from the borders and oh wow saying to them like listen I have this money to buy us food but if we go really cheap on the food we can go to Borders and buy a bunch of R-rated movies to watch tonight. Hell and yeah. And like, hell yes. And so Pulp Fiction is one of them. And so that was like a big, like, I have to, like, you guys have to see this movie. Um, I don't I don't think that was my first time seeing it. I think I sought it out because I had already seen it. And I was like, you guys, I was being one of those people, like, who Adam hated of being like, you got to see this. <laughs> um, so... That that to me, like Pulp Fiction is like an an adolescent movie for me in some ways. And then went on to like see Kill Bill, which I love. Like I uh, volume two is like one of my favorite movies. Ooh, okay. um, That'll seen... be another episode then because I've not seen either of those. Yeah. Um and I've seen most of his work. I've not seen um once upon a time and i think there's i think maybe that's the only one i haven't seen but like i don't i don't love like inglorious bastards django hatefully like i don't have the same sort of affection for them that i have for pulp fiction right um and i don't love them as much as i love kill bill interesting that's, that's my my relationship um i also i feel a little bit like i i feel myself becoming a fuddy-duddy a little bit like, now <laughs> you that did I mention turning into your team, mom like sneaking from the chilies to the borders um i love that that's a busy street to cross too i'm very i'm very yeah. surprised you guys made it that is not a that's a very treacherous precarious. intersection if i think if i'm thinking it's where you were talking about we're doing it i was gonna die to get my Pulp Fiction DVD um, at a very young age. Um, and now I I don't, like, some of what he does, like, I don't know. I'm like, it's a stylistic choice, but I still have, like, 
at what point I'm like becoming one of those people. I'm not like Bob Dole. Like it's too gratuitous, but I'm like, that's a little gratuitous. So I don't know. But then I watch a movie. I like watch one of his and I'm like, oh yeah, I like this. But like the further I get away from it, the more I'm kind of like that Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, I, for me, it's, uh, I had Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs in college. Um, I was never a big Kill Bill fan, so even though I've seen them, um, I think for me, it it swings for me all the time. Sometimes, again, I've seen all of them at this point, but um, it changes for me over the years. Some years, I'll be like, I think Orin Glorious Bastards is one of the best things that he's done, and then I'll re- rewatch it and think it's absolutely fine, or I'll watch Django, or I'll revisit Pulp Fiction again. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place with him. I do uh, agree with you that he just sort of embellishes in some of these things that he shouldn't need to a lot of the times. Again, he's gotten a lot of hot water with, you know, the use of the N-word and some other yeah, things. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like, it a hard R movie, I was like, how appropriate. Yeah, um, I do know that about it, that that he that word comes up a lot in his movies. Uh, and right, and they're and the and they of... are and outside of like maybe like Django, they're typically spoken by the the race that should be using that word, or you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, it um for me it, it it swings a lot, but I would have to say overall, like I think he has a very strong filmography. Um, I agree with you, Adam. I wasn't a big fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it's a lot of fun, which I think going into a lot of his movies people sort of try to like have these incredibly lofty expectations about what to what they want in it you know what i mean and he does deliver on some of those fronts but i think what he does uh typically uh, deliver a lot is a fun movie which um if i had to say like what wasn't fun for me was like hateful eight i thought that was just like a mean-spirited type of movie where it wasn't fun um, I didn't like some of the, like the, the, the technical aspects of it. I mean, he, he touted the fact that it was shot in 70 millimeter. It was inside of a cab in the entire movie. It doesn't need that format. I don't know what he needs. I mean, it's, it wasn't like a Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, there were a couple of shots in the beginning, but I mean, that's, I think whatever, a different, uh, a different subject. But, um, I think overall I would say like, I am a Tarantino fan, but I'm not like a Tarantino fan boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to say that Pulp Fiction is, Again, like I said, it switches for me all the time, but I would say continuously been in the top three movies for me. Tarantino movies, I'm sorry. I was going to say, top three movies. No, okay. no, 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 no. I'm not one of those. Johnny, it's the number one best movie. How dare you? I know. How dare me, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see it just because, like you said, it's, a, it's the monkey off my back kind of thing. Like, it's the weight off my shoulders, but... I just you're I afraid to draw like the possible line you're gonna have to draw on the sand yeah um, three hours from now <laughs> yeah what's the runtime on this is it three hours no it's, it's one it's two and 150 and a half. Yeah. okay okay yeah see that's, that's the other thing too is if i'm not on this wavelength it's this is the longest movie we've done so far so if i'm not in for it it's gonna make for a chore of an evening <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, I'm game for it either way i do know a lot about it like i said um you know just because this is like much like jaws this is one of those ones that just like permeates popular culture all the time like i know all about the yeah. royale with cheese conversation and i know the you know the the dancing and, and uma thurman and samuel jack like i know i i see scenes i see clips like i 
I've never watched them, but like I know that I know what they are when I see it. Like if you showed me a bunch of screenshots, I could tell you which one was from Pulp Fiction, probably, unless you picked some obscure scene. Like as long as it's one of the main actors, you know, in the suit or in, you know, whatever, it's the the haircut and like I so a lot of this stuff I'm wondering, you know, how will that play into the enjoyment of it, or will I just get to that and be like, no, here's that scene I've heard about a thousand times. It's not funny or it's not exciting or it's not, you know, whatever. Like I don't, um, I'm intrigued to find out how that stuff will be impacted just because normally knowing the reference, uh, isn't always the best thing. Like knowing a reference outside of a movie is good. Like, Oh, that reference was really good. I really enjoyed that. But like seeing the reference, with like seeing the movie that's be, that I've seen referenced in other things is less exciting than watching a movie and seeing the movie reference something else that I know. So, well, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see to at the very least to see it. Um, and no matter what I think of it, uh, I'm excited for the post discussion. Cause I'm sure there'll be, unless I like absolutely love it. And then it'll just be a, a gab fest about how great the movie is, <laughs> which is fine too. Um, but I, I really want to go in with an open mind, but I just don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> I, that's really the only way you can go into it. I mean, just keep it as wide open as possible. Um, yeah. And uh, again, like I said, I think if you enjoy the fun of his movies, I think you'll find a lot of that here. Um, and again, if you if you've seen sort of uh, Tarantino movies, like there 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 are plots, but I mean, it's all in the service of the dialogue and the characters are the characterization things that happen, the the little things. And I think we've talked in all the movies where it's like the little things are the bigger things in the movies that we've seen, but uh, it is just chock full in this movie. Um, so I, my expectations, I have no idea. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a love hate. I don't think you're going to fall in the middle. You could, but um, yeah, it just, it's incredibly high expectations for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't even know if this is one of those kinds of movies and obviously you guys don't necessarily have to confirm or deny it, but like, I don't even know if this is one of those ones where like when, when we watched alien with Brian, where he's like, technically I understand why this is considered a great movie because of all the things it pioneered and all of the things that it did, you know, to create a genre, so to speak. I don't, I don't feel, I don't get the sense at the very least that Pulp Fiction is one of those like industry defining genre defining things where like oh my god look at all the things that he was able to do that either had never been done before or haven't been like duplicated since and i just i don't feel like that's one of those things so i do think it's going to be a love hate thing and um it's not gonna be one of those where like it's fine but i appreciate all the things it did or could do but I, i don't get that sense from what i know of it or what i've heard other people say of it um, that that'll be that kind of thing and that it will come down to a, just a, a you know, pass fail. <laughs> yeah. It's just, there, there, there are a lot of technical achievements here and a lot of things that they sort of pioneered that he did, but there also is just that, like it meets it in the middle with the dialogue and the characters and the casting. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, for, for a lot of people like Samuel Jackson and, you know, Bruce Willis and other people in this movie, it just, you couldn't think of anyone else playing these. I mean, we'll, we'll talk after the fact about it, but I mean, there's just so much more to that side, like the narrative side and everything else that uh, I'm curious to know which side ultimately you'll end up on. Do you like more of the narrative side of stuff? Do you like the characters more? Or did you like the fact that it was just, you know, the music was kick-ass and the cinematography was good and it kind of, the, the pacing or the way it was edited. I mean, the, the way it was edited is a big thing we'll be talking about afterwards. But 
Um, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. But I, I'm also terrified for you at the same time. Okay. I I promise, regardless of how this turns out, I will not try to drag it down for you guys. <laughs> Please, <I'll, laughs> I'm gonna try not to anyway. Like, I I don't think this is gonna be such a strong opinion to where I'm like, are you guys stupid? Like, do you did you watch the same movie? Like. <laughs> This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. That's not funny. That's boring. This is bad. Like it's, I'm, I'm hopefully re- good or bad. I'm, you know, I'm gonna take a cue of. I don't want to be negative. Then um, yeah. try to try to try to go in at that route. So I, at the very least, I'm going to try to make sure that it's not. I don't tear it down for you guys, even if it it's not good. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, don't wanna, if, I don't want to influence your opinion, but you maybe want to pour a drink for this. Just a small one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I it's mean, not like, we're not watching like Mad Men. I'm not asking you to like join the boys <laughs> in the conference room with like cigarettes and whiskey, but oh, it's, it's have... one of those movies. It's a fun movie. I might have a, a seltzer. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. All right. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we got hit hit up the bar cart beforehand. You got two and a half hours to think about it. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, might, it might be a pause in the middle just to go get that, go get a re up if that's the case. Um, <laughs> we'll see how much I'm slurring my words in the post show. <laughs> um. I think I'm pretty good as far as questions or comments on this before we watch it. Bridges, do you have anything to ask Adam at all? No, I'm just, I'm very excited for our conversation in two and a half hours. It's, oh, quick, 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 Bridget. When was, when was the last time you saw Bridget? It's actually, it's been a while, probably since I was in college. Okay. Um, that I've watched it. Like, you haven't seen it since Borders Books and Music closed. For yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it since my 15th birthday. Um, not quite a decade, but right. close. Oh, and this was a DVD that found legs and walked out of your dorm room like all the time. I replaced this movie like a million times. And I I went to go look for it tonight. I don't have I have it on DVD, but. I was like, all right. I, I know it's on HBO, so I'll just end up watching it on HD. But I know, I know I had the Blu-ray of this at some point, like two or three times in my life. So, yeah, you probably have a Steelbook Criterion collection, yeah. digital books, uh, art book version, right. or somewhere somewhere that you lent to somebody and never. It's returned. probably in some attic in Massachusetts or something with some roommate I don't talk to anymore. But um, sack just in case. All sack, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. All right, then. Uh, fine. Fine. I'll watch it. And we are back. We just finished all two hours and 32 minutes of 1994's Pulp Fiction. Adam, how do you feel? Do you have some hot takes? Are you a new person? What's going on? Forrest Gump deserves the Academy Award for Best Picture oh, in the year no. 1995. <laughs> oh, no. Listen, all so, right. So that's obviously the most dramatic way in which we possibly start this. Uh, but I don't think it's a bad movie. So I'll get, I'm going to get that right out of the way. Um, I just it, I just thought Forrest Gump was better. Uh, but, I mean, that's we'll get to the, the larger the larger reaction, obviously, as we as we dig a bit more into it. Um it's fine. I don't, I do. So when I watched Jaws, obviously I went in knowing that it is a cultural touchstone film, that it is revered and, and, and 
and when I came out of it, I said, deservedly so. Like, it didn't necessarily reach the pinnacle of my most beloved movie, but how could it? It's the first time watching it. Watching this, I understand that less. I am not quite sure why it's thought of in the esteem that it, it is put. And I don't know that that's necessarily a result of the, you know, the expectations, so to speak, of, of what's been laid before me. It's just how I feel after watching it, that it is fine. There are things I really like about it, and there are things that I don't, and there are things that don't make sense other than to, to kind of create a, a cool ending. Um, so we can obviously get into a lot of it. I have a, I had a lot of notes, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's very long. It was quite the ordeal to, to watch it. Um, and it's, it's fine. I, I honestly think I'm right in the middle. I, I was worried that that wasn't going to be possible. And I'm actually kind of glad that it's just okay. Yeah, I um I I got to imagine when I first started watching it when I was thinking about how you were perceiving how everything was happening is that I I can't remember the first time that I saw it and I got to imagine that the first time that I saw it I didn't think I walked away from it thinking maybe not as as what you're saying is being fine but I think the structure of it is very frustrating in the beginning it's very confusing for at least maybe almost as far as halfway through the movie, you're like, I don't know what's happening. Why are they jumping from here to there? Like, does it make any sense? But I can imagine at the very least at the core of the movie, which is why it's revered for the way it is, is because it, this is before this, there was probably almost no non linear major film that that was out there. So this is one of the first ones that did that. Um, so I imagine that it, that for, for that, I, I don't know, you can chime in, but that it was a frustrating part of it first time watching it honestly uh and and i'm glad that you brought it up because that is my biggest problem with it um but i didn't realize that it was a problem with it until the latter half honestly like as it was bouncing around i was like okay cool this is just like a this is like a pulp magazine like this is just a bunch of stories that you know, maybe interconnected, which I, which they are. Um, and I was expecting that aspect of it. Um, and that they're just going to be bouncing around to these different characters. And like, that's kind of cool. You know, they're going to be some of the stories that I like, they're going to be some that I don't, and that's okay. And then it came towards the end where it really becomes apparent that it's not in linear order, which I didn't know going in that it wasn't going to be like that. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so I just assumed that it was more uh, a vignette based where it's like, OK, we've got our, you know, our 20 minutes here or 40 minutes here or 30 minutes with these people. And then, you know, we're just going to go bounce around. And I, I was totally fine with that. That didn't bother me. I was I was ready uh, to, to go along for the ride with it. And then as it was getting towards the end and as we got back to the diner and I realized that. You know, obviously that part, it's very clear that it's out of order because, you know, Vincent dies in the middle and they're now back to the beginning where they're, you know, they're shooting the guy in the, you know, over the cheeseburger or whatever. But uh, so, like, I, obviously it's it's very apparent that it's out of order at that point. Uh, I don't think any part of the rest of the movie seems out of order, taking out of taking out the context of the very first scene. Everything else seems to be somewhat linear, as far as I could tell, at least. And so, and then we come back to the diner and we come back to this and I realize that there's, 
there's almost no reason to do it this way other than to have the really cool bookend of the diner scene. Like I really enjoyed all of the parts of the diner scenes. So I really loved Tim Roth at the beginning. I loved his you know, speech about liquor stores and, and robbing and why you want to rob a restaurant. I love him as an actor. I think he's great. Um, so I really enjoyed that scene and I enjoyed the, you know, the standoff at the end. And, I, and the only reason that I could think of as this movie was wrapping up is that this is told out of order just so that way we could have that cool diner scene at the end. Because if you put it all together linearly, n- neither part of that is going to be as good. And the rest of like, so that way you have to split that up is almost like this. Oh, we're calling back to the beginning. Like, that's cool. That's neat. Um, but other than that, there is no reason for this movie to be told out of order, as far as I could tell on first viewing. And maybe that's, you know, I got to dig deeper into it to really figure that out. Um, or you guys can explain it to me no, uh, as we go I, through. I mean, the I think, I think, but... I think you're fairly right. I mean, again, there's been so many more movies since this that have been told in a nonlinear linear order. Um, that this movie, now watching it now, like flirts the line between um, being cool, like you said, the cool factor of it being out of order and being impactful, which, again, like you said, if the diner, if both the diner, the two scenes were put the, stitched together in the beginning, that it wouldn't have any impact like that. That last scene wouldn't have nearly as much impact mm-hmm. if it was 20 minutes into the runtime. Yeah, exactly. Or if, or if you're intercutting Tim Roth's explanation about robbery with uh, Jules and Vincent talking about miracles and him getting out of the game. Uh, no matter where you put either one, it lessens the coolness of both pieces. Um, but that's the only part that's affected by the nonlinear storytelling. The Bruce Willis stuff doesn't matter. The the Ving Rhames stuff doesn't matter. The, um, what was the other, like the Vincent and... Uma Thurman stuff doesn't really matter if you, what order you tell it in. All those things are just like little vignettes that you may like or may not like um, in terms of, you know, because I'm sure everybody who sees this movie probably has a ranking of which one of the stories is their favorites. And, and I'd be interested to hear what your guys's are. Uh, and w- I'm sure we'll get to it. But all of those, you could tell them in whatever order you want. It really doesn't matter. And most of those are told in somewhat regular order. You know, Bruce Willis finds you know gets the the bribe option. He he then loses. They meet up, and and all the other things take place. But those two, the bookends, are the only thing that's impacted by the nonlinear storytelling. But I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. Like I don't yeah. I don't know why you would choose to do that other than like I said, it's just it's to cool make factor. the ending cool. Yeah. I mean, according, I just looked at it quickly, according to Wikipedia, if you were to go through, so there's seven distinct sections in this movie, um, and apparently it goes like 4A, 2, 6, 1, 7, 3, 4B, then back to 5. So there, there actually is a little bit more of a mix-up in the in, in the middle of it than maybe you've perceived, but um, I don't know, Bridget, what do you sort of, what do you surmise as far as... Um, is it is it needed? Is it cool? Is that is that why it's 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 been as cool as it been the movie? That's why people like it so much. Um, I think there are there are a couple things that sort of led that movie to Pulp Fiction being like esteemed so highly. Like the the nonlinear stuff. Like I think is part of it. I don't think it's as big as some of the other things that are sort of going on in the movie. Um, I will say, like, 
the splitting up of these sort of different vignettes, like there's one that I feel like is the weakest and could actually be cut out even possibly. Same. But there's like all there's still or like at least shortened if you want to have the payoff of at the end. Cause it's sort of like part of the reason that I think the the diner scene at the end sort of works so well when you have to jump back and think about like what actually happens to Vincent is that whole vignette itself is really building up to like you jump into Jules being like, we just experienced a miracle. And then they have all this sort of bullshit they have to get through with the wolf and Bonnie and all of that. And then they're back at the diner and that's when Jules, it like sort of hits him. Like I did experience a miracle. I have to change my life. Like I'm quitting. And Vincent's like trying to convince him like, you're, you're stupid. You're going to go be a bum. And the sort of reality ends up being that like Vincent stays and dies and theoretically had Jules stayed, he probably would have died in Butch's apartment as well. Right. I, 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 the story really is too, if if you have to break it down, like two stories of redemption, I think you have Butch who's Mm -hmm. trying to get out of the game. You know, he's washed up, he's done. He wants to just get out of this. Um, and then you have Jules who sort of has like an epiphany that he's done with the gangster lifestyle. Um, so, again, our structure aside, I mean, if we're moving along from the structure, um, I think the individual stories are very strong, in my opinion. Yes, I if I had to say the um, the Butch and Fabian, I think part mm-hmm. of it runs longer than it needs to. I think, obviously, they're trying to flush out Butch a little bit more. Um, but, like, the whole, like, motel scene where they're sort of, like, screwing around or whatever, and it just seems like it just goes on for way too long than it needs to. Um but um, yeah, I don't know. I if, beyond that, I don't know what I would really shave. I mean, I and I, Adam, I'm sure you would probably shave an hour off of this if you wanted to. But <laughs> I, I don't know that um, an hour. I think I could probably cut a half an hour's worth of asides. I don't think you can necessarily cut um, story heavy stuff. But like one of the one of the first things I wrote down is like, you don't need to explain to me what a TV pilot is. Uh, and it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, that's a fun bit of dialogue and it's like a fun, uh, you know, it's a fun little conversation between the two of them. And they have quite a few of those style conversations, Vincent and, um, and Jules, but like it doesn't, movie doesn't need to be two and a half hours. And if you had like a nice lean two, you could cut out some of those conversations that, you know, um, that don't really mean anything, but also don't add anything. Like when he's explaining what a pilot is for TV, it wasn't really like, there wasn't like a funny bit. There wasn't like a super informative bit. It didn't really inform anything that you needed to know for the rest of the movie. It was just a couple of minutes that just didn't need to really be like, they could have just walked up um, and he could have been doing that like while they were walking through the hallway, not necessarily standing there at the door and being like, okay, you know what a pilot is, right? Like you heard of a TV, you have a TV, that's cool. Well, the pilot, and I'm just like, I don't. I, I, I mean, again, I, I totally get that. And this will probably be brought up a, a bunch during this, but I think it's, there's a lot of topics that are brought up between these characters, like these gangster characters, these hard ass people that, um, that they, they want to show you that they are everyday people. They have the same everyday conversations that you do. Um, and that's what makes the movie. If you didn't have that, then it would just be sort of like a, I don't know what it would be. I don't think it would be a good movie, to be honest with you. I think it would just be a, 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 
a, a drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying get rid of all of them. Like, I'm not saying no, fundamentally sure, change the dynamic of the characters or how they interact. Uh, I'm just saying you could probably cut out one of those conversations per vignette, which each vignette has seven or eight of those style of conversation that you could probably cut out one per. And if we're saying that there's seven vignettes, which I, I, I looked at the Wikipedia because I wanted to know what 4A to 167 were. <laughs> were <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Order. Prologue, uh, prelude to Vincent Vega. Uh, yeah, so Vega. It, it goes the flashback to the Gold Watch, which I didn't remember that uh, the, his, his character's name, um, Bruce Willis's character's name was Butch. So when that happened, I was like, wait, what's happening? Is this happening right now? Vietnam was really long before this. Like, they had cellular phones. Who is this person? What year is this taking place? Dude, not I'm only so that, but, like, all the California interiors, like, look the same in the movie. So it's, wait, like, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, wait. Like, I had to rewind it to be like, wait, what? Butch? And then when Bruce Willis wakes up, I was like, oh, or, oh, that was a flat. Okay, I got it. I'm, I'm back on board now. But that whole time, I was like, these guys are driving around with cell phones and they're over here talking about dying in Vietnam with this eight year old. Like what is happening? Right. That's not his dad. Like they can't be. Um, but yeah, so it's the, just to, to clarify your, your number sequence from before it's the flashback about the watch, the, the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marcellus's wife. What is that? Is the, that's them walking to the, is that the bar scene technically? No, it's them walking up to, where oh that's the apartment that's like the apartment yeah cheeseburger okay yeah yeah yeah. um Uh, so you've got you've got that then you've got the bonnie situation which makes sense that's you know that takes place immediately following um then the prologue the diner okay that makes sense uh the the final scene you know the continuation of the diner then it's the date or the not date then it's the rest of the watch stuff um the you know the actual like he kills the dude and then it's the gold watch like sequence yeah yeah i i I mean i definitely think the movie could be shorter i don't know that it's necessary i don't think the length is necessarily the problem for me uh other than the fact that it's just i mean it's a vignette movie ultimately and i didn't jive it's it's episodic it's just yeah Yeah. you're just kind of going from one to the other one to the other um and i didn't necessarily think that any one of them stood out as particularly good except for the final um, but again, I think that was, I think it, the the rest of the movie was impacted by the need to create that nonlinear surprise of, oh, it's at the end. And obviously we know it's out of order, but oh, that's the same diner. Oh, okay, here we go. Like this is something's going to happen here. And the rest of the movie, I feel like is worsened to give it that feeling. So just quick question before when they get to the diner at the end and before he calls out to the waitress, did you know that it was the same scene or did you just you sort of had like like, oh, OK, this is the same. This is right back to the beginning again. I, I wasn't I, I didn't it didn't jump out to me immediately okay. just because that's that scene was almost three hours prior. Um, so it, 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 <laughs> yesterday, it, yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it didn't necessarily jump out to me as I wasn't like, oh, is this the same diner? Knowing full well that it's out of order, it didn't like it didn't even register to think sure. about the fact that they could be involved. Um, it should have probably because we didn't visit those characters again, and I knew at the time at the beginning when it just kind of ended with him causing the stick up that we were probably going to get back to them. Okay. But until they showed up again on screen, I completely forgot about them in the context of the movie, at least. Right. Right. So I guess, you know, we can obviously 
touch on the structure a little bit more later on. But um, as far as individual sequences, individual I don't know, episodes, if you will, what are some of the stronger ones that you enjoyed? What are like the weakest ones? Um, I mean, there's plenty of like, at least in my opinion, like really strong scenes. I mean, you got like the OD scene. You got some other ones that are really stark. I mean, we got the pawn shop scene, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But um, what what are some of the ones that maybe think that ultimately will stay with you, you know, tomorrow, next week? I mean, all the diner stuff, as I mentioned, is, is cool. Um, and I know that I harp on the how I think it impacts the rest of it. But I did really enjoy that. Like, I really loved, you know, like I said, Tim Roth's monologue at the beginning. I love the kind of epiphany and discussion between uh, Jules and Vincent at the end. I thought that stuff was really cool. I really loved the standoff where he's, you know, got the gun in his face and then he's sitting at the across from at the diner and he, you know, he takes out the wall. This is bad motherfucker. Like I laughed at that. Right, I thought right. that was cool. Um, so I did really enjoy that. I enjoyed uh, parts of the Bruce Willis bit. I didn't necessarily hate the hotel stuff. I thought that that was, that was needed to show, especially having seen how important the watch was to him. Like I, you needed to have him have that freak out moment to really decide that like this watch is worth dying over, which was good because we had just been told in the, in the prelude to it and the flashback that like his grandfather was willing to die for it. His father was willing to die, like to keep that like lineage going. So I thought that part was really cool. Um, and, you know, when he decides to go back in to save uh, Ving Rhames Marcellus, I was like, okay, cool. Like, that was real badass with the samurai sword. Uh, yep. And obviously, like, Ving Rhames with the shotgun was cool. And I love the little, like, um, so what do we do now? And he's like, well, I'm going to get these motherfuckers in here. We're going to, you know, tear shit up. and yeah, go medieval on their ass. Yeah, exactly. Go at him with some pliers and, you know, pull all his teeth out and just make him hurt. And then was like, no, I mean me and you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that <laughs> – <laughs> that what do we do? Like I love right. that sequence. I thought that was really good. I mean the the rape and the gimp aside, which I forgot to mention at the top. Like I, I had heard of the gimp, and I feel like I saw someone. Oh, do you have heard of the gimp before? <laughs> oh this. yeah, I'm fairly certain that I was at a Halloween party once where someone was dressed up as the gimp. Oh my god. Yeah. That might have yeah. been a different kind of party, Adam. I hate to tell you. Yeah, you I have to say, been... I thought it was a Halloween party. <laughs> nope. No, it wasn't. It was a Halloween party because uh, his friend next to him was dressed as Grand Admiral Thrawn from the Star Wars books. So I know for a fact it was not some other weird kind of party. It was just the weirdest Halloween party I've ever been to. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. A, I, a lot of costumes, costume ideas have stemmed from this movie. I mean, I've seen, I, I believe when I went to school, in college, I saw two guys dress up like uh, Vince and Jules in the uh, the volleyball gear. I mean, I'm pretty sure Bridget has been. Uh... I, I have been Mia Wallace. Oh, you were that's right. That's yeah. right. A couple of years ago, because um, all it needs is like a white shirt and a short black bob wig. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, right. like a lot I of this movie like... is the ultimate just quick costume idea because you just need like. Uh, a security officer's uniform, a white shirt, a suit, uh, you know, a Hawaiian shirt or what. Like, you you don't need a lot to yeah. be a character and for people to gimp get outfit. what character you are. What were you saying? I said a whole gimp outfit, a all gimp outfit. genuine leather. Some have I met you before? That, <laughs> some people just have that ready and, and, and right in the closet. Like, they don't they don't need to go out and shop they for that. They don't need that. to go That's out, just, yeah. true. It's ready and if, if you need a costume in a moment's notice. Just like I had the Mrs. Doubtfire outfit, just exactly. right on hand. <laughs> you just need a bathrobe and some shaving cream. You're good to go. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, there's – so I, I did know that character existed but didn't know the context, obviously. 
But I will say when that scene started, I knew what was going to happen because I've seen the Simpsons episode where they Ugh. did that exact bit, which you get ruined by a lot of the stupid shit. Well, like I, it, I mean, it's not stupid, but I mean, you, I, you, it's been so long at 94 and 20, 20, 25 plus years of stuff you could have been not doing. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that, that it ruined it. Cause they only go so far as the, um, once they got tied up and they were sitting there with the ball gags, I was like, Oh, the Simpsons episode, that's chief Wiggum and it's uh snake, the, the robber they're tied up. And I remember this, but, the parts before and after were not part of that Simpsons episode. So that what the whole scene wasn't ruined. It was just one of those like, aha, I recognize uh-huh, that's what it is. Yeah. I recognize that reference. Now I just assumed it was a funny thing that happened in the Simpsons when I watched it 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did enjoy like him going back with the samurai sword. I thought that whole sequence was cool. I didn't really dig the, the non date between Mia and Vincent. And I think a lot of the Vincent stuff I didn't really dig because I just don't really like John Travolta that much. Wait, uh, hold on. So <laughs> hold on to that thought. Okay. Now, close your eyes. We're gonna we're gonna do a thought exercise. All right. I, I can't have Cookie Monster to... right now, but I'll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna believe you. Um, close your eyes. Imagine this film, starring Uma Thurman, Samuel Jackson. And Daniel Day-Lewis in the Vincent Vega role. Oh, my God. I mean. Because he yeah. was considered. I don't I mean, know. He, he... he had to take a shit at least three times in the movie. What? <laughs> I mean, Vincent, no, there's at least three times in the movie where Vincent <laughs> Vega is on the toilet. Is, is Daniel Day-Lewis not allowed to be on the toilet? Is that a I thing I don't know? I suppose he could, but it might be above him. Oh, that's, well. <laughs> is it above him it's in 1994, I guess? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably that probably would have been better because I wouldn't have noticed it. I wouldn't have been like that's Daniel Day Lewis, and you know, uh, like I have an opinion on that actor. Like I don't think I would have noticed it honestly, so it probably would have been better. Uh, I'm just not a big Travolta guy, so I didn't really, I didn't really buy or enjoy a lot of his. And he was doing a weird accent. It seemed like in some parts that kind of took me out of it. Uh, so I think I think it was worse off for having that. So Daniel Day-Lewis, honestly, probably would have been better. I know Johnny said you, you can't imagine other characters doing the or other actors <laughs> being these characters. But uh, I mean, I, that probably would have been better for me just because I don't I you know, I just don't really like his performances and things like, you know, he's fine in Greece and, and some of these other things. But this like the between the accent and the hair, I just was like, you know, <laughs> it, it, and I will, and we can touch on it right now. I mean, this movie saved his career. I mean, he, he also says this movie saved his career. I mean, before this, I mean, he was really struggling for a while to get like big acts and to, to get, get in front of the, uh, get in front of uh, the audience. But yeah, no, I think shorty right yeah. after this, which I didn't, <laughs> right. I didn't see. All I could think of was like this, the next thing that he did just swordfish. Cause like, Okay. At some point, I'm sure we both saw. We all seen Swordfish, but I love Swordfish. Is such a guilty pleasure movie for me. I just, it's oh, so same. ridiculous. It's so awesome. Um, but uh, I think to what Bridget was sort of pointing out, like th- this movie since Reservoir Dogs came out, like a lot of people were trying to get on board for this movie. Um, and I think a slew of people were trying to be casted as Mia. I think you had like Meg Ryan. You had uh, uh yeah, yeah, uh, they were, yeah. Julie Dreyfus at some point it, yeah. it being considered. Uh, she apparently turned it down for Seinfeld. Well, she was doing yeah. Seinfeld, but yeah. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, okay. So as as far as like a Samuel Jackson character, can you tell me you you couldn't think of anyone else doing that character? I mean, oh no, I think he's yeah, I think he's easily the strongest character in the movie. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And I mean, I love Samuel Jackson as an actor anyway. Um, and this is you know clearly what most would refer to as prime Samuel L. Jackson. Sure. Um, and I yeah, I loved all of his sequences so much so that like when that first vignette ended. And they just like shot the guy and then it faded to black and we moved on to whatever we moved on to. I was like, I was like, oh, damn, are we done? Like, are we done with him? We don't get to find. And like, and then the next sequence or one of the next sequences was like, it was the Vincent date and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I don't, uh, can we get Samuel all back? Like, I want that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want the Travolta stuff. I want more Samuel L. Um, so I think that also hindered the enjoyment of the beings. I was like, I just want to keep watching the Jules character because he's way cooler. And I did, I will say that like of the things that I knew from popular culture, aside of the uh, the tied up in the pawn shop, most of the the bits I had seen or the sound bites that I have heard I'd heard were all pretty much in those like first couple of vignettes. So I was really happy that those we got them out of the way early so I could just see new things and enjoy new things like of the things that i knew like most of samuel's dialogue in that apartment i had heard from the samuel jackson soundboard in the early 2000s <laughs> right, you know, right say what again does he look like a bitch like all of those things like i'd heard people those. prank calling people with the soundboard yeah yeah exactly so yeah. i'd heard all of those but that again that didn't ruin it for me that was just like a that was a reference i could point to that i knew already and in context it was good and his delivery is always good so that didn't hinder the the experience for me. Uh, when he first, when uh, when Vincent first gets to me his apartment and he does the look around, like I know, I've seen that meme a million times of John Travolta looking around. And that is like, such a funny scene to me. I mean, I listen, heroin's a terrible thing, but I mean, I he the way he wanders around the apartment, like the the struggle just to find the intercom is so funny to me. Mm-hmm. It just all of that that whole scene is is super funny, but yeah, that that uh, the meme of him sort of looking around trying to figure out where the voice is is uh, is classic. Yeah, so I knew that part. Uh, I feel like there was something else that I knew. Uh, obviously, the dancing, the you know, doing the twist I had seen. Right, right. Um, you know, them driving back from the overdose. I've seen that picture a lot because it was used for the how it started versus how it's going of 2020 with like them all like her all drugged out. Like I saw, <laughs> yeah. I saw that picture. Yeah very recently and knew obviously it was from this movie. Um, but none of those things that I knew previous. And th- like I mentioned before, that was my worry is that these referential things I had seen in other media might impact my enjoyment of the movie. And I'm glad that those things didn't factor into it. All of my, you know, non-enjoyment of the movie right, was completely right. separate from that. So that was now, at least now looking good. at it from the opposite end, what do you think about some of the pop culture references in this movie um, I mean, there's plenty of cool little touchstones and weird little things in here. I mean, I, I think one of the things I wrote down was when during the OD scene, um, the board games that are out are Operation and Life are oh, sitting on a table. That. Like, yeah, I, I noticed that. Notice that. I, I, I love I, Listen, I, I know because you've seen it for the first time. You're, you're sort of like just focused on the foreground. Well, for me, I'm sort of just looking at a lot of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that um, I for me, the music is so strong in this movie without yes. like the sound, the soundtrack is so mm-hmm. people always talk about, okay, what is the best soundtrack of all time? I and mean, people say, um, Forrest uh, Gump, Gump <laughs> or almost famous or boogie nights or yeah. you know, what have you. 
Um, this is a, a very strong contender, and I always forget about it. But I, when you start hearing the opening notes of, is it Miserloo? I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing yeah. it correctly. And then um, into Jungle Boogie. Into Jungle like, Boogie. Then like Al Green in the bar, like when uh, Vincent mm-hmm. and um, Butch are sort of like facing down each other. Like I love that little part. Um, again, I don't think he sort. Of, I don't think he sort of pioneered the sort of classic rock or ironic sort of like soundtrack. I think Scorsese maybe did a lot of that with Goodfellas and um, sort of going against the grain a little bit. But a lot of the soundtrack. I mean, even later on. I mean, even in Django, he had like rap music in Django Unchained. Like, it, he loves playing with music in different eras and seeing how it sort of goes against like what what you're seeing. But the soundtrack in this is excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I did. I did write that down. I wrote soundtrack rips. Um, though I will. I will say uh, the Neil Diamond version of "Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon" is vastly superior to whatever version we were listening to in this movie. Right. And right. Right. To the point where I was disappointed when it when it started. I was like, I love this song. You know and that. Then, I mean that that really comes down Neil to that comes down to rights. You know what I mean? At, at the end oh, of the yeah. day, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, I think famously, like in The Departed or something, they wanted to use. Um, comfortably numb from pink floyd and like roger waters or whoever was like i'm not don't do it and they end up using the um the van version. yeah 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 Yeah. so i mean you see that a lot in the movies but it whatever i mean it once you get over that hump it worked oh yeah for sure and i was just one of those little like damn like that would have been such a nice little touch because i like that song (laughs) Uh, so to hear like a version i'm unfamiliar with even though most people who know that song probably know it from Pulp Fiction, and so therefore, like they that, wouldn't even know that. Yeah, it was Neil Diamond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, as a person whose parents love Neil Diamond, I was sad. Oh, really? Big Neil that. Diamond fans. Yeah, my dad's a huge Neil Diamond fan. Uh, What's that so, movie where, with the two of them? They're big Neil Diamond fans. The Jack Black. Saving Silverman. That's it. I, yeah, yeah. I love I that. That's absolutely oh, love that movie. That's that's great. That's another one we should watch at some point. I've um, never seen it. Oh All God. right. I love that movie so much. Place. <laughs> have have zero expectations, please. But we should watch. It. <laughs> so incredibly stupid. It's so um, stupid, but it it, it's, it got lost in the two thousand sort of comedy era. But um, yeah, the hidden gem. So we, we it may really get is. to it because I actually really really love that movie for all the stupidity that it has. It's really um, stupid. But yeah, no, the sound the soundtrack is great, and like you said, the very the very beginning, like the you know a, a couple of you know really good bops, where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm digging it. It has it has a cool factor throughout. I think for the most part, I mean, it's trying, and I think this is what Tarantino like strives to be like all the time is just the movie to be cool. Like that's it. Like I he I think a lot of times he puts that above like almost everything else. He cares so much about the aesthetic it being cool that the plot be damned. But as long as there's something cool, some body part flying out, you know what I mean? That's kind of his thing. I mean. If you're if you're not on board for that, then I mean you're never really going to enjoy any of his films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it cool. I cool is one of those words where like it doesn't have a definition and it's super subjective. No, it doesn't. So it's, it's, it's super subjective. Like, it is. It is. But, yeah. but I'm saying like he for him what he thinks is cool. He just hopes to hell that what he thinks is cool is what you think is cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, but I think that's what makes watching his films potentially hard is that he doesn't put the emphasis on the story or the, like, you know, the plot moving forward so much as he does like, look at them doing this cool dance. Look at them wearing these cool clothes. Look at them saying those cool things. And that could be a detriment to, to the overall experience. Cause I feel like you, you can't necessarily prioritize 
a cool factor over everything else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this not is to say guy... that he did that here, but right. And this is a guy, and I'm not too sure if you guys know about Tarantino, but I mean, he he worked in a video store for a while, and obviously he wants to sort of jam everything together like like a big sort of like uh vitamix version of everything that he's seen mm -hmm. um but that i think he's matured a lot so like the 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 inglorious bastards the and Django unchained or like uh once upon a time in hollywood those are plot driven they're not real sort of like yeah. cool driven like this is you know what i mean i mean he did this and then Jackie Brown is the same thing. It's like very cool. There's not like there's somewhat of a plot, and then you got Kill Bill, which I suppose is the plot, but everyone just sort of waiting for the next sort of like leg to be flying off. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I mean Jackie Brown obviously is is you know uh, his homage to like black exploitation and things like that. Which like I don't think I've seen that movie all the way through, and I feel like when I did see it, it was on TV, so that's not the way uh, in which to watch it. But I kind of got the vibe from it. But it, I mean. The cool factor for that makes sense because that's the genre that he is going for is that like black exploitation of just like, you know, cool is the other side of right, the pillow kind right. of thing. Um, so so that it makes sense for a movie like that. Uh, but for these other like the cool factor isn't a good thing to add to your World War Two Nazi hunting movie. Like, so I'm for the sake of I mean, those I mean, other listen, movies, I mean, for, for his for at least what he did was he made an alternative history. He's not going along the same history. So, I yeah. mean, he sort of can do whatever the hell he wants at that point. Yeah, no, I, I totally I don't fault him for that at all. I'm just saying, like, to your point of him maturing, like it's for the better of those later films that he did that, because if you tried to make a post-Civil War movie that really hinders on the cool factor, no one's going to enjoy right, it. Right, right, right. So. Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's a commitment to, you know, the like really building out your sort of world and your setting and like having, you know, you can tell from the dialogue that all of these characters they have history with one another. Like just anytime one of them says the name like Tony Rocky Horror, like I laugh because it's just coming out <laughs> of their it's it seems natural coming out of their mouth. So you immediately get the sense of like, these people live in a, just a world that is similar to ours and maybe has some of the same influences as ours, but it's just a little bit slightly off kilter, not just it's because slightly they're stylized, also yeah. criminal. You know, it's almost like, I was thinking about this, like a lot of Tarantino movies, even the later ones, which are, you know, more focused and, more realistic in some ways are sort of like what would reality actually be like if we lived in a movie mm. like if you sort of lived on the sidelines of like a big hollywood drama like what what is going to like going on a not right. date with like a mob boss's wife be like that sort of thing mm -hmm. um and this movie is like it says it right in that opening, like, definition of pulp. Like, one, it talks about, like, the definition of, like, a pulp novel, but literally it's just a mush and a hodgepodge of all these different things. So it's, like, just Tarantino taking everything, like, out of the kitchen sink or, like, putting it into the kitchen sink uh, from deliverance to elements of black exploitation to mob movies, like, yeah, there. lots of new, lots of new noir stuff going mm -hmm. on with it. Um, I will but, say uh, that when when you mentioned the very the very very beginning where it shows the definition of pulp, 
I, because I, you know, obviously I mentioned I was a little scared going in because I wasn't really sure what to expect and the lofty expectations. Be, yeah. um, but as soon as that put up there, I was like, oh no, is this movie going to be a big pile of mush? What is this going yeah. to be? <laughs> is this going to be literal pulp? Because uh, I don't, I'm, oh, I'm so not ready for that. Just, just, just some pulp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, which Tony is fine. Soprano, I like some pulp. Just some yeah. pulp. Totally fine with Sidebar, that. Sidebar, love that clip. It's one of my favorite Sopranos clips. <laughs> um... <laughs> But uh, no, it's 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 funny you say that. I'm trying to think now. It's like I, if all I would almost say like Reservoir Dogs or in this movie is probably the more realistic movies in his canon. Because once you start getting after that, even though he sort of matures, he starts playing with history. He starts doing a little more wackier stuff that you would never sort of that would never happen. I mean, you got Django Chain where you know a slave becomes a bounty hunter that saves his wife. It just it's 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 so far fetched where it, it maybe it could happen, but something like this story, even though it's so wackadoo that like it it it's plausible. You know what I mean? It's a lot more plausible than maybe something like that. Yeah, I think that it's fairly grounded, um, which is for the better. If this movie was super fantastical or super out there, like I don't think that I would have been on board for for it. Um, but all of those things like realistically could happen. Like you realistically could take a mobster's wife to a fifties sure. diner restaurant. And then she could think that heroin was Coke. And there could be a, a couple that wants to, you know, to rob a diner and there could be a standoff of enforcers and somebody that they owe money to like all of the other things that like, totally fit with the exception of, you know, maybe the, the, you know, the whole gimp scene is probably a little bit, out there but those people oh, probably they, those, though they're out there man. yeah i was gonna say those terrible there. people probably exist i don't know that it's necessarily to the uh hey give me a call when randos show up to your pawn shop so we can tie them up and like but i mean possibly the i like watching this movie for the first time in a while like I had sort of, like, I completely forgot about the butch element. Like, I had forgotten Bruce Willis was in this movie until really? I was, okay. like, refreshing the Wikipedia page. And there was something about, and, like, and everyone was shocked that, you know, big star Bruce Willis decided to sign on for this indie film. And I was like, Bruce Willis? And then I remembered. And that's the passage that, the the vignette that is the weakest for me um totally agree i think you could get to he secures the watch and like i don't even need him to see marcellus again you know what i mean like so all of that is like everything that happens in the pawn shop is like so gratuitous for gratuity's sake that i'm like yeah i mean it, it is it is it is so gratuitous, but I I think it it adds a little more of a of a, a weight lifted off of his shoulders that he sort of can make amends and he can leave town not knowing that people are chasing him down because that's the whole it's the whole reason why he's leaving. Mm-hmm. Now True. he can finally like leave town. Um, and again, like I said, it's a it's a redemption story. It's it's two redemption stories. Um, but um, yeah, I love that when he sees him at the <laughs> at the crosswalk. Yeah. I mean, I honestly like I, it's weird to think about like in the context, because like you said, it, it's two redemption stories and it very much feels like two different movies. I honestly like I like the Bruce Willis stuff. Uh, it does feel weirdly like 
paste in the middle of this other larger film that bookends it. But I honestly wouldn't have hated if this was two movies. Like I would, I would much rather follow the Jules Vincent Marcellus movie through and then see a separate Bruce Just have Willis it be in the same movie. universe or something. Yeah. Yeah. That like, maybe you don't like, you don't know that like, it'd be cool to see, um, you know, the fact like you go see the whole movie that is the Vincent Jules Marcellus, like that whole bit, which is probably, you know, an hour plus of the movie. And then you've got this mobster that's, you know, fixing boxing fights and the boxer who doesn't want to do it. And, you know, he's he's indebted to the mobster now and he's got to go on the run. And he's see, like that part of it could have been a fleshed out separate movie. And I probably would have enjoyed that just as much as the two of them. But the two of them intertwining is and again, I talk about this at the very beginning with the pacing of it and the the whole structure of it. That's where it falls apart is that it they it's don't Tarantino trying to have his cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? It's it's he's just yeah. trying to just do a lot in the same movie and I mm-hmm. largely he succeeds, but I you are right. I mean, if you really want to be I don't want to say persnickety about it, but if you really want to take some sequences out, I mean you really could and you could have a standalone movie, like a a, a good two hour chunkish type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, I, I to me, to me, it all fits. To me, it all works. But um, I it's it's also a movie that is just chock full of amazing dialogue, which I think is something that we should talk about because I I only wrote down a handful of lines because I remember most of them from seeing them so much. But I mean, Adam, what are some of the ones that you remember? I mean, besides pop culture, Family Guy, what have you? What are some of the ones that you wrote down? So I did write this down because I, I don't know that anybody else will pull this line out of the movie because it really doesn't mean anything in the context of the story. It's it's a nice little moment between the two characters um, at the end of the uh, the Mia and Vincent vignette, which the whole part in the 50s diner, I, I thought that was really slow for me. And I think that was because what I mentioned earlier of I wanted to keep following Jules because I like that character and that actor better. So that kind of dragged it down a little bit before ramping back up to be more enjoyable uh, towards the end. I didn't really like the diner scene, though I will say uh, Steve Buscemi's buddy Holly is on point. Yes, it is. He he looks just like him. I thought that was great. (laughs) I did enjoy that. Um, But I did laugh kind of hard at the the tomato joke from the, what is it, Foxy Furious 5 or whatever? Fox Force 5. Fox Force 5, yeah. Uh, I did laugh really hard at that because... At the during the apartment scene with Jules and Vincent, where he's talking about the cheeseburger, I hadn't eaten dinner yet, so I ordered a cheeseburger for delivery. And, <laughs> and as she's telling that joke, I'm opening a ketchup packet to put ketchup on my hamburger. As she's like, and he squishes the sun, and it's like ketchup. And I was just like, Wow! I don't even, I don't even know, I don't even know how that could have happened. I just ate this cheese like I didn't want to be in the Bridget spot from last week where she really wanted a hot dog. Uh, yeah. So, so I made sure. And so like I ordered cheeseburger just like I like reordered a previous DoorDash order just to be like, I just want burger and fries. Like he ate the burger and fries. It looked really good. Like I haven't had dinner yet. I can't make anything right now because I don't want to pause this movie for 20 minutes. Uh, so I'll just do that and like just pause it to get the door and get the food. But like I was literally opening a ketchup packet to put ketchup on my hamburger as she's That's telling funny. that joke. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so I did laugh at that. I mean, obviously all the Samuel L. Jackson lines really stand out. I mean, mostly because I, I heard them before, but they're they're better in context. I mean, yeah, they're even almost beyond lines. They're monologues. They're like these big chunks of sort of you know thematical sort of stuff that's been going on. But um, yeah, and I like the stuff about the miracles and and how he's you know kind of has that epiphany when they don't get shot, which like come on, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, how do you miss with that, as they call it, hand cannon? Uh, so there is, there is a fan theory about all of that that's going on, and we can just, I don't want to get away from the dialogue because I think it's such a great part of the movie, but um, as far as what's in the briefcase, um, what do you think is in the briefcase, Adam? I mean, I just, lo- I, yeah, I just assumed it was like gold bars or whatever. Uh and yeah. maybe they're maybe they're shaped differently because he was like, is that what I think it is? Meaning like, is that just a bunch of gold? But like, maybe it looks like weird trinkets or I don't. I, I didn't right. put I think, I think in, I think in I passing, I think in passing, you're supposed to understand that it is gold or something of like real high value. But yeah. um, there's a lot of people that have read into it where, you know, the um, if you look closely, the combination of the the um, six, six. the briefcase is uh, six, six, six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the um, the the room where they're about to shoot up those those guys that that the lighting above both Vince and Jules is like very it's like almost heavenly or lit on their heads oh, um, and that they're like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, angels cast from heaven or whatever. And that this briefcase is essentially, you know, Jules trying to rid him, rid his soul, like, like get like basically sell his soul and get rid of it. This bad part of himself to get rid of and give to, um, Marsalis, um, to move on essentially. So, um, there's, I mean, obviously after this, I would, you know, I would love to see your thoughts on some of the, the things that people have said on YouTube about this, but, um, that is just one theory, but I think I, on initial viewing, I think most people would say, yeah, it's gold or, I mean, even some people have said it's, uh, I don't know, what's that gold-looking nuclear shit, the plutonium shit, I don't know what it is. Oh, but, yellow cake? Yeah. Yellow, yellow cake, cake yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but um, I love... I love the that people don't get to see what's in the in the suitcase because each character in the movie, not not just us watching it, but get to perceive it differently. Like what it is, like when they open it up at the diner, he's like, "Is that really what I think it is?" And he goes, "Yeah." It's like, "I what? Like what the fuck is it?" Um, but um, again, not to get away from the dialogue because I think there's I think just so many good things. Um, but I mean, Adam, what do you have any other like favorite um dialogue moments in the movie? Well, just to kind of wrap up the theory part of it, I, when I was watching it and they didn't show it at the very beginning and it was just kind of like that ominous yellow light, part of me was like, we're never going to see what's in that case. And no, yeah, part of course, of the, yeah. Like the mystique of it. So by the time it came around the second time, I was, it was almost to that point of like, I don't need, like, I don't honestly care what's in it. So like, I do yeah, want I mean, to look up point... to see what the theories are um, because that may obviously um, enhance the, the movie for me, but in in watching it it was one of those like if this is a you know a mystery box i don't care what's yeah i mean at at that point i mean at that point i don't think you're really supposed to care as much what's in the suitcase it's more of just the mystique and the mystery of it i mean it's not supposed to be anything weird and supposed to be weird payoff or anything Mm -hmm. um but um yeah, I think I I love the fact that the 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 briefcase as a as a big part of it, and you don't even get to see what's in it. Yeah. yeah, well, that's like the the definition of like Tarantino cool of like this really slick sheen, like just the shot of Vincent like opening it for the first time, 
like oh, and the light like comes up amber glow, and the, but yeah. the way he even pulls the cigarette out of his mouth like i need <laughs> to get like, you know what i mean like is so deliberate mm-hmm. but then you don't act you don't go like any further like it's not like the style is the substance he's in, like this is he's like this respects. is what we came for like that like we we got it yeah, because yeah, I think he says like, "We happy?" He's like, "Yeah, we happy." Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I didn't write down a lot of like the lines per se, mostly just because it's so like quick that if yeah, I was to it's very quick, yeah, it's I very hard like to keep it, up with. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like if I stopped to write down like, "Oh, that was funny," or "Oh, that was a really good conversation," I was going to lose it. And there's so much of it that it's kind of hard to to pull it out now. But I, you know, I'll, I think it was more about the delivery for me than it was the substance. Hundred percent. Um, which, which is why like the 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 stuff I mentioned before about like explaining the pilot there was no real great delivery to that other than the very beginning where he's like um I don't have a TV he's like well you know about the invention of television right like you know that there are shows <laughs> on that program right. like that was a really good line delivered very well even though the overall you know conversation wasn't nearly that great I loved Harvey Keitel in this uh, I thought all of his lines were really cool. great especially yeah, please with yeah. sugar on top, clean the fucking car. Like, um, that's a line that pops into my head just when I'm at oh, work. Oh, I love sometimes. that too. Yeah, or like when people <laughs> when people take it. their coffee, like when people say plenty. No, I've never heard anyone say oh, plenty of sugar, plenty, plenty of cream. Yeah, um, I you know I loved the when when John Travolta just looks at him and it's like, Are you tell me what to do, and he's like, I'm sorry. I thought time was a factor. I didn't realize I had to have pleasantries with you. I'm just here to tell you what the fuck to do. <laughs> um, and so just like the very, the sternness in his delivery was great. Uh, obviously every line that Samuel L had was, was delivered really well. Ving Rames did a really good job with a lot of, you know, right, really especially good. like, you know, looking at Bruce Willis in the car and being like, motherfucker. And just like, I can't believe like, one word encapsulates every feeling like you immediately get every feeling that he's having in that moment of like this guy who just stole my money essentially because he bet against him or bet you know that he would lose uh just stole my money just ran out of town just killed the fighter that i'm clearly trying to build up as the next big thing and here this dude is in this shitty little like mazda She's <laughs> just, just oh, driving along singing his song like nothing's wrong in the world like this that's motherfucker. A, that reminds me there is another good line about that car when bruce willis shows up on the chopper and yeah, she's like what what happened to my car he's like sorry baby i had to crash your civic something yeah, 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 yeah i had to crash the honda baby yeah it's it's not it's not a motorcycle it's a chopper zed's yeah. dead yeah, some of those lines I didn't really like as much. Like, okay, we get it, it's a chopper. Like, dude, dude, we don't need two instances of her calling it a motorcycle and him correcting her. Um, but no, yeah, so like Ving, Ving Rhames was good. Uh, Bruce Willis was really great in this. Um, it, if you guys haven't seen it, his character kind of reminds me a lot of, of the movie Sin City where he's in and it's kind of the same feel of its yeah. vignettes and it's, it's you know, pulp, which I did enjoy. Um, you know, his delivery was good. I You know, the, the girlfriend, I didn't really care for that much. I thought Uma Thurman had some good lines, but ultimately, you know, because that her scenes didn't really do it for me, uh, like the the overall scenes, not not her fault, um, but it just like I remember less of right, her conversations right. and what what she was kind of explaining. And since we're on her, can we talk about Tarantino's uh, foot fetish with? Uh... I was like, wait, uh, <laughs> I was not letting this end this fucking call. 
without talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think almost every uh, principal uh, female in this movie shows her feet in some way or another. Even the, uh, I think the taxi grab, uh, taxi cab yeah. driver is. Uh, Who's driving those shoes? Tarantino's oh. taxi cab drivers are. <laughs> no, at see, and that to me, the th- like, as much as it like he gets a lot of critiques for like you're so gratuitous like with your use of violence with your use of the Mm n-word and he always sort of falls back on like well i'm an artist i'm i like this is i'm expressing myself like this is how like i'm making an artistic choice and then i see these fucking feet everywhere and i say No, I don't know. No, At a certain a, point, it doesn't quite hold water. His infatuations are all over this movie and going forward. I mean, again, I think earlier I had said something to the effect of that he, uh, there's a lot of racial slurs in this movie and that the, a lot of them are used mm-hmm. by, you know, uh, black people. But uh, again, I'm wrong again uh, post um, post <laughs> viewing um, because a lot of you know the pawn shop and uh, some other stuff that again we won't get into. But again, I it, it it a lot of it is in I don't know close to poor taste. But I think I don't know if you want to make up for it. But you know like the Django's and the sort of you know anti-Semitic stuff that that's in the movie with Inglorious Bastards. You know going after the you know the Nazis and everything. Um, I don't know if that makes up for the fact that he can get away with some of the stuff that he writes in his movies. It's probably a no. Um, but, <laughs> I, I don't, but I don't I, think he, so. Uh, yeah, he, I don't he, think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like, those weird things of like, I, I'm, I'm willing to sort of try to take a step back and like judge. I try to, yeah. It, 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 it's a very small step but, back, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm still like, I, I, at the same time, out of the corner of my eye, I just have to say, I see you, motherfucker. No, yeah, mm-hmm. I see him. Yeah, he's he, he's he's skating this... on very very thin ice. I mean, it's like, like it's 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 ice on a pond in like late April, and he's skating on it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. <laughs> it's um yeah. I mean, it's it's most filmmakers wouldn't even touch that territory, and this is the reason why people like uh you know like Spike Lee have been so uproarious about some of the movies that he's come out with the fact that but then you got people like samuel jackson and other people who have been in his movies that sort of or jamie fox that defend uh mm-hmm. the use of the word um but in in this case i would say again like i said we talk about him being maturing as a filmmaker that i think he's definitely got gotten away from uh the you the proper use of Again, there's nothing proper about those slurs, nothing yeah. proper about that language, but be the, the realistic use of the word in the context of what's going on. Um, but yeah, he definitely sort of embellishes his, in some of the uh, uh, risque dialogue. But Yeah, and I mean, I, I tried to watch it, as I will anything I haven't seen that we watch that's older through the context of it's a different time. Like, I'm not going to fault this movie for better or for worse for its use of terrible language in terms of like slurs, both racial and against the mentally handicapped. And, you know, oh, that's right. So like, I'm, I don't fault it for that necessarily. Cause it, he's going for a very specific style in tone of older, you know, like this isn't, it's set, I assume in the nineties cause they're using cell phones. 
uh, but the genre that he's going after is magazines from the seventies. Like it's the things he grew up reading. It's the so, grindhouse type of stuff. That's more like, yeah. like very far reaching. It's supposed to be like, pick it up to look at the nudity, the violence, the, the coarse language, the, 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 the up to slurs and everything. But yeah. So I don't necessarily fault him for that kind of stuff. And like, you know, Samuel L using the word makes sense. You know, if Ving Rhames using the word makes sense, if, the, I don't remember his name because I don't know that it was said, but the Phil Lamar character, if he'd said it, like it would have made sense. Even the pawn shop people saying it makes sense because they're terrible redneck rapists. So like, but like Tarantino's character and was that's, a problem. Yeah, the kitchen yes. was, a, was a big problem. Yeah, rough. He's a bad yeah. actor, and I don't. I mean, maybe he's he, better he, now. I mean, he is, and and it's funny. And I wrote this down because I actually looked it up before we watched this because I didn't realize this, but he actually uh, intended to play the. Eric Stoltz character, the heroin dealer, um, originally, but he was so adamant about being behind the camera to make sure that scene was exactly how he wanted that he ended up casting himself out of it and playing. Which was a uh, great choice because that's which the, is a great choice because Eric great in that. Movie, yeah, I think. and by the way, I love the cereal that he's eating. Did you guys I catch that? that? Yeah, I wrote it down. What is it here? The fruit, uh, fruit, fruit, fruit. fruit. Yeah, I, I love that. Is that a I real cereal? I, I know the general knows on it. Oh, it is. It is. It is. It's okay, not okay. around anymore. Sure. But I think he was friends with Count Chocula, the fruit brute. Oh, okay. And Booberry and, and, and Booberry, but like he's, I guess he, he's moved on. Oh, listen, I'm, 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 I'm willing to say that's probably the best serial name that I've ever seen. <laughs> so what is that? I just is that love the, it so much. Is that the werewolf in the like Halloween cereal averse? Because you've I got Count Chocula, so. Booberry, Frankenberry, and then Fruit Brute. Who I guess Fruit Brute, yep. He did kind of look, you know, wolf-like or, or bear-like. So and maybe it's funny, it was the... and that's what I sort of love about this movie too is that you would think like maybe the heroin dealer is doing anything but watching whatever the fuck he was watching and eating Fruit Brute on a TV dinner tray. While some, who is the roommate just smoking a bong continuously? Like I, I don't know who that chick is. I know the other one. The girlfriend is in Arcade. Is in Arquette. Yep, that's Rosanna. Yeah. Who is that? Who is that girl been in before? The uh, his uh, his girlfriend, the one with all the piercings. Oh, she's Um, she's in Arquette. She's been in a ton of stuff. I always get her confused. Her sister's the one in Boyhood. Her sister's the mom in Boyhood. Mm -hmm. And her other sister. And her other sister is the one in the bathroom who misses the shot completely. Yeah. On Jules. And because I was like, is that Alexis Arquette? And then I had to look it up and I was like, that is Alexis Arquette. Okay. Two Arquettes in the same movie. What were we talking about? Oh, the. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Again, again, this movie just, for all intents and purposes, this review is going to be very scattershot. I know a lot of us are, but this one is just all over the place in general because. That's the structure of this movie, but yeah, I'm telling uh, my review out of order, and I think it's better for it. No, it yes. definitely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's a thought: a five dollar shake today with inflation costs my eight dollars and seventy three cents. Which saying. I feel like is normal. Which I think is fine. Yeah, even when I saw it originally, I thought it was like that's. Listen, dairy is expensive. Like a gallon of milk is like most dairy in general is expensive, but um. I mean, in terms of pricing, that wasn't the thing I thought was the weirdest one. The weirdest one was when I when I heard him, Bruce Willis, in the bar order what I assume is a pack of cigarettes, and he's like, a pack, a pack of, of cigarettes, dollar fifty. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, were cigarettes that cheap in the nineties? Yeah, because like, you have to make sure that like an eight year old's allowance could cover a pack. 
like that part, I was like, wait, what? Was a pack of cigarettes at the dollar seventy five? Like that doesn't make any goddamn sense. But yeah, I, I even like the the um the restaurant that they were uh, eating at. Like I would have thought they would have been ordering. I mean, if, if we're starting to like get off the track a little bit, they would have been ordering like, alcoholic drinks at that point. They're like, he's got like, a vanilla coke and a milkshake, and these guys are uh, sucking down heroin and cocaine and and, and whiskey on the side, you know, outside oh, yeah. of the restaurant. Yeah, I don't know that the 50s car hop diner, though, is a place like, I mean, they probably must, but it doesn't seem like the place that you go and get alcohol necessarily. Like you go no, for the experience. No, of course of not. Yeah, I'm sure they do the... serve it there. But I, I will say I do love that sequence, like the whole long shot of like from the, the racing cars all the way through seeing all the 50s actors, um, 50 style actors um, going all the way through. Again, something that maybe to Adam's point could have been shaved off a little bit, but again, it's something that you either like or you don't. It's like the, you know, like the, the boogie night scene in the beginning where it's just the camera flies through the club for like almost 10 minutes undisturbed. It's just like, does that need to be there? Well, I don't know. It's, it's stylistically there and it's something you sort of walk away with and remember. And there's a lot of that too. Like even when Bruce Willis is, um, getting out of that Honda and he walks through the fence all the way to the apartment, like that's a, yeah, Long tracking shot that do you do you need that? I don't I know, but it it, it, hei- it heightens the tension of sort yeah. of like yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's kind of like like a covert sort of mission trying to get back to his apartment. That's why I kind of liked it. Like you know, granted, it could have been shorter. It could have been a you know he just sneaks through the fence and he's in the backyard of the apartment complex. But I like the fact that he has to go so far because. Every movie I've ever seen tells me there's a re there's like a 75 plus percent chance that one of the people he does not want to run into is either driving by at that moment, coincidentally or not, or they're parked in one of those cars or they're sitting in the window and that like he could get picked off at any one of those moments. Uh, you know, like he could trip on the fence and get his leg caught and they could walk up and be like, you know, thought you could run or whatever, you know, some little line of dialogue that's punchy. Uh, so I actually liked how long that was because there was that tension because this is, you know, none of these characters matter in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's proven just moments later when Vincent just gets completely obliterated by whatever right, right. that absolute monster of a firearm was. Oh, yeah. And uh, and Bridget, too, while we're on this scene, that scene where he sort of infiltrates his own apartment and Vincent is uh, using the bathroom oh, once again. Um, are you going to talk about the toaster? Uh, I was talking about the toaster, but I was going to ask you, since you uh, maybe are our resident, and maybe people don't know this, our resident book nerd, mm. what book was he reading? Because he's oh. reading it. He reads it in the diner as well. He's, like, carrying around the book. It's the same He must book. be carrying around the book. He yeah, is. Yeah, he carries it out of the diner, too. Like, it's uh, one of the things in his hand when he puts the gun in his waistband. Yeah, what... And not to put the spot on you, I wasn't too sure if you knew that. No, because I um, did. I don't know it off the top of my head, but it is a pulp book, and I was just reading some long thing that was like, and because Vincent is all he's pooping when he's dying, it's a allegory for rape. I'm like, I can't. (laughs) Oh my god! So even a little too far for yeah. It's modesty. It's blaze. Yeah, modesty blaze. Or Modesty Blase. Blase, I think, yeah. No, that, yeah. It is a real book, so this isn't another Canadian mounted scenario. But is it is it like a relevant book? I don't mean to, to, you guys to do a, uh, a Google search on the fly here, but I mean, is it um, does it have any sort of like weight with the with the story? Does it mean anything to uh? 
it's a female spy novel, according to this quick Google search. Um, it's Modesty Blase, which tracks the adventures of a female spy, Modesty Blase, though not of general reference to anything in the movie. It could be noted that Modesty is of some comparable significance to Mia's earlier mentions of Fox Force 5, a show about a group of female spies. Uh, so Vincent Re- Reeds has a mock-up cover that Tarantino had his prop department make based on the cover of an early edition of the novel. So that I don't know how true that is. That was a quick Cora response right. to, uh, to <laughs> this scenario. It, it was funny. Too. Yeah, it was funny too because when I was first looking at it, because I didn't notice it in the apartment, but I noticed it in the diner. And at first, I thought he was reading like Madame Bovary, and I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Why?" But okay, uh, so I, I guess this female spy novel does make more sense uh, in regards to it being maybe a reference to the the Fox Force Five and. Clearly him having a fascination with Mia because he, you know, in the bathroom, he's talking about how I, I got to go. I can't do anything here. I, I just got to leave. I can't, right. you know, I can't cross that line or I'm dead man. So I'm just going to say goodnight. I'm going to leave. So clearly he's got a thing for her. So that kind of, that kind of tracks throughout if he's, was he into her because he knew about the show? Was he into her because, you know. I don't think he even had a, uh, a, a no, visual reference of what she looked like before, even mm-hmm. before yeah. he saw her. So that's true. And he doesn't own a television, so or doesn't watch TV. He doesn't so he watch TV, yeah. Wouldn't have seen the pilot. It's so funny when he's um when they're driving talking about the uh the Royale cheese mm-hmm. and uh um, Jules keeps, you know, asking more and more questions and he goes, What about Burger King? And he goes, Oh yeah, what about Burger a walker? I, I yeah. didn't go to Burger King. I don't know. I didn't go to Burger King. I love that. Um I was kind of looking at some other lines that I wrote down, but when um Marsalis is talking when he finds out that Butch like bailed on the uh, the boxing event war he obviously beat the shit out of that guy and killed him yeah. um that he's not there anymore he's asking about like what is he gonna be doing next he goes I want everyone out there firing him I want someone jumping out of a, a rice bowl in yeah, China it's, to like <laughs> it's, the, it's the line is like if he ends up in Indochina I want someone jumping out a bowl of rice like and it's delivered so smoothly. it's so good and again I it's, 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 it. It's so good, and, 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 and to what into what Adam was saying, the the delivery, mm-hmm. and again, the writing is very strong in this movie, and the delivery of it is like perfect. It's 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 uh, there's not a lot of it that's not like really like par. You know, I think a lot of it's really really good. Yeah, I think for me, it's the delivery more than the actual lines, because a lot of the actual lines are, I mean, they're they're nonsense in the in the sense that they don't matter, not nonsense in their like zany or silly or, you know, weird words, nonsense. Like it's but not, the, but the actors Princess are committed to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not Princess Bride nonsense, but it is just like, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but the lines work because of the way in which they're delivered, which is the strength of the movie for me is the performances more so than anything else. Right. My favorite little line just to go back to lines um is at the end as uh jules is explaining what he's gonna do he's like talking about being like kane and kung fu he's gonna walk the earth meet Mm -hmm. people get in adventures and just get (laughs) in adventures it's just so cute (laughs) i know he's my favorite character in the movie i mean if we want to talk about our favorite characters in the movie i think I don't know. The, the two of you believe that that's your favorite character of the movie, Jules? 
Or would you say is another one? I would say he's probably not that the movie really has a protagonist, but he the, ends up becoming the protagonist well, at the end. Just, like, yeah, yeah, he's definitely the protagonist at the end. Just because he has a moral compass. I mean, there's no one else in this movie that really has one. I mean, Bruce no. uh, Butch kind of does, I guess. And yeah, but, but I think uh, it's here or there, like of like technically Butch leaves with like the biggest body count of the movie. Technically, I think. Um, right. Like if you include the the fellow boxer that he killed in the ring and you know he's sort of responsible for the hillbillies and who knows what's going to happen to the gimp um of now he's sort of he's set with marcellus but like what is his life going to be look like because the reality is like if the cops are eventually going to find vincent's body in his apartment like what what is the rest of butch's life going to look like you know so vincent ends up dead Butch's future is shaky and Jules seems to have the most sort of like seems to be the one kind of on the upswing and who is like made the right choices so far or looks to be making like. Right. I don't know. Wolf rides off into the sunset with Julia Sweeney. So uh, his life seems to be going pretty good. (laughs) She's going to inherit the whole garage. So he's he's sitting pretty. He is sitting pretty. Yeah. Adam, did you know that Harvey Cartel was in this? Was that a nice Um, surprise for you? I feel like I did at one point, like I was trying not to pay too much attention to the credits at the beginning where they were listing all the names just so I could be a little surprised if someone showed up. Uh, and partly because I was distracted. right. Cause it does, it does have that sort of like ending credits. Like it just goes on forever and you see everyone that's in the movie and then the movie <laughs> yeah. sucks. But plus I was a little distracted cause it, the font for all of the names I'm pretty sure is the stranger things font, or at least it looked to be that for, me, it so does, it and he, he, you know what's even funny? It's similar. the same font that's for um, uh, uh, Samuel Adams' uh, beer company. Oh, okay. So when Samuel Jackson's name comes up, and I'm like, that looks like Samuel Adams' beer. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I love Harvey Cattell and that just that little moment that he has. That's great. Yeah, that that was that was a really a really good part. I did really enjoy that. I like Eric Stoltz's character too. Like I like watching him. Like, well, I guess I like the, I like the overdose scene so much, like him on the phone, like him, like finally stumbling to like answer the phone, talking to Vincent, being like, do not bring her here. Then the realization, like, I I don't know you, uh," like that delivery. And then into like the car showing up on the lawn, like that. Long I shot. even love the uh, the scene where he's explaining like all the different types of heroin that he has to uh, give the Vincent. I'm um, talking about like Amsterdam and you know yeah, this all, stuff. Yeah, that... oh, yeah, all of that. And I and I'm having a hard time recollecting what Vincent was saying when he was sitting in that little like uh, hippie cone chair like in the corner when he's complaining about whatever he's complaining about while he's scaling out the heroin for him. I don't know if you guys remember what oh, exactly what he the, was saying, the, but the car gets keyed. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, so there's a theory. So the theory about that is that Butch, but, Butch keyed his car. That's the theory. Oh, that so when they, what, 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 when they're at the bar that they that he keys his car, because I believe if I'm thinking correctly, I know it's a fucked up timeline, but that that happens before, mm-hmm. and that um, that yeah, Butch after that little sort of stare down in the bar that he walks out and keys his car. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a cool line in retrospect now, knowing that. But it, no, no part of me put that together. No, no, of course. And, and and I, there was no expectation of you doing that. Yeah, and that yeah. Was me. Then that was me, sort of like looking up stuff like after the fact. Like I didn't even pick that up before this podcast. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of little uh, tiny little nuances like that. Yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, that I'm sure that plays into a lot of what. You know, people really enjoyed about it, especially film nerds who would be able to dig into the, you know, the very finite details of of every single thing that's put in there. And like, that's cool. I like doing that kind of stuff, too. That makes for a more enjoyable movie for someone that like was already on board and wanted the like the nitty gritty details of it. But in terms of like the actual watching of it, the casual it, watcher. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't add anything. Yeah. Same, I mean, I mean, stuff way. like I mean, one thing that I wrote down too that I even read about before we jumped on was that the Impala that um, Vincent was driving around was actually Tarantino's own car um, that was used for filming, and during filming, it got actually stolen during filming, and it, it didn't show up till like 2013. Wow. They didn't recover till like 20 years later. Um, so that's a little interesting uh, tidbit, but um. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think even um, the the bad motherfucker wallet is also Tarantino's own wallet um, that he even just had before filming. Hmm. So I mean, again, it, it's 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 a film of riches. It's a film of again, if you're if you love the movie, then you could scuba dive fairly deeply into what yeah um, other things that that are into it. So um, which I think yeah. it's cool for that aspect of it. Um, you know, I can appreciate the fact that. You know, it does have the nuance and it does have that like that deep dive ability uh, where, like you said, you could go scuba diving for all the all the different yeah. little yeah. fun facts. And Not I'm sure coral that, reef, like like the Mariana Trench type of shit. But. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure the IMDb trivia section is a, you know, an absolute, you know, treasure trove, if you will, of there's of so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, e- even down to the fact that and I love this this little tidbit that I found that the um, the coffee shop owner and the. um where he's sort of getting uh, held up mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, I'm just a coffee shop. And like, he gets hit right before he says owner. And in the credits, he's just credited as coffee shop. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Adam, I mean, as far as like, you know, stacking this up against other Tarantino movies you've seen, are you seeing things that you've seen like in his other movies? Do you, as far as where does this sort of fall in uh, his filmography for you? It's hard to say. Um, mostly just because I've seen all those other movies, I think only once. Like, I don't think okay. I've seen a Tarantino movie twice. Okay, okay. So that's a, that's a good thing to know. Okay. Yeah, so it's hard to say where it fits. They all kind of, obviously, it's like Death Proof is at the bottom. The very bottom, probably. Right. Several... Yeah, can we just say like Death Proof doesn't exist at this point? No, I refuse to give him that pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, what, that's I, not what we're doing. I here. liked Death Proof, but again, I mostly like that. I no, mostly I, like I, it for I, that I, scene I agree with Adam that the the, uh, the movie that, per, that preceded it is a much stronger movie than uh, than Death Proof. I don't even necessarily mean stronger. It's just, it's more my style. Like, uh, you know, the, the fact that there was action and good dialogue and like, it's more what I was expecting from a grindhouse movie. Right. Uh, but so like, if I had to rank them 
Death Proof is down at the very bottom. Probably then his next movie is there. Uh, at the very least, like movies he hasn't made yet are above that, just by virtue of the fact that they're not that bad. Uh, and then it would probably like this would probably be up there below, but probably below Inglorious Bastards, uh, and maybe in probably maybe below or above. I, it's hard to tell. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood. I'm not really sure, but I think because the ending of that really, really ruined it for me. Um, um, just real quick, Bridget, did you see Once Upon a Time? No, no, I've not seen okay. Once Upon a Time. Yeah, so I, I won't, I won't, you know, I kind of said it earlier because I didn't realize that Bridget, so I'm sorry. But no, it's uh, okay. well, because I know, I I know the the that he plays with history, yeah. fundamentally sort of yeah. the the spine of it is and sort of where it's eventually going to head end up. So it's not it doesn't spoil anything for me. <laughs> yeah, so I. I, I, I I probably ahead, put sorry. this. Ab- I probably put this above that, but would probably put it below uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. But then again, it's hard to say. I saw the movie once when you know it came out on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, and I just saw this now. And there's a lot that I do like about it because you know I know I started it off very dramatically and, and made it <laughs> seem like this was going to be a really rough <laughs> ride, but right. I feel like I've conveyed that there are things that I really do enjoy about it. It's you know, there's there's good stuff to be had there. Uh, I just think it's the movie is not greater than the sum of its parts, and I don't even know that it's equal to the sum of its parts. I feel like there are a lot of parts that drag it down, uh, so that way, like it it could be elevated based on the things that I like, but the things that I don't like like take me out of it so much. Sure. Yeah. That it it's worse off as a result. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, for me with Tarantino movies, I would almost agree that like, I enjoy all of his movies or whatever, most of his movies because I am expecting moment to maybe skip a moment to enjoy certain scenes, dialogue, things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And again, not the sum of his parts. It's like, I walked away from once upon a time in Hollywood thinking that I, I had such a fun time. And I I enjoyed it, but I it it didn't again like the sum of its parts. No, but like individual scenes were just like excellent. Like he's like you said, he's a he's a like a vignette, this episodic type of director. You know what I mean? I, I all, all all I was gonna say is that again, his 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 movies are not plot driven. Even though there a lot of times there are like a plot that's moving it forward, he very much relishes in scenes for like a long time if not mm-hmm. more than he needs to um and a lot of people enjoy that part of his uh his style and i do but i also will agree that a lot of the times that it's sometimes it overstays welcome and sometimes a lot more than it needs to and also overstays its welcome like at the tail end when the movie should have ended a long time ago like in the uh Example of something like uh, Django Unchained, where I won't touch into it, but it, it falls into that sort of like fourth act type of territory where it's, you know, we were talking about aliens, where, you know, maybe the movie would have ended where the ship just blown up and everything was fine. But all of a sudden there's this whole sequence on the ship with the alien and her fighting her off, fighting the alien off um, that uh, he just he's just like, I, I have I have more ideas. I have more ideas. Like, I just want to put more to the screen, more to the screen. And the fact that he's so successful and that he gets such good uh, box office numbers that uh, the studio just lets him. I, he definitely gets final cut. Studio, I guarantee all of his contracts say that he gets final cut. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, as much as, you know, there's a lot in his vision that I'm like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know, there is something to be said for, like, this is, it's imperfect, but it is, like, you can tell, like, this is the work of, like, a singular person, which yeah, it's is a, it's a whole hard. Unique. Imperfectly it's, unique. Yeah, and it's hard to come by, you know, just someone with that sort of level of, like, commitment commitment and like just sort of like there aren't a lot of directors that have like their films have a sort of shared personality like Wes Anderson I would say is one like even though their styles are very different right um but like there's a Wes Anderson language in the way that there is a Quentin Tarantino filmic language Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it, I'm not a huge Wes Anderson fan. Like, I think maybe my favorite ones that I've seen from him was like, uh, what was the claymation one? The oh, well, he's done two or three Fantastic of them. Mr. Fox. Um, Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Uh, Fantastic Ones of Fox is like one of my favorite ones that I've seen. But I've seen like the Royal Tenenbaums. I've seen all the other ones. But you have to be on that ride, or like, mm-hmm. or you're not. But, but I don't even get in line for that ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't even get in line for that ride. No, I don't. I don't like. I've seen. I've seen Tenenbaums, I've seen Steve Zissou, I've seen um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and the rest I don't care and don't want to watch because the three that I have are. T- at jewish. least tell me you've at least tell me you've seen, and I know SNL hasn't been very good over the last few years, but they definitely nailed the parody of uh, Wes Anderson movies with that one skit. I, I don't know how many years ago it came out with, but I think it was when Moonrise absolutely still came out. nailed yeah. how ridiculous and uh, unique his movies are. Um, but yeah, to your point, Bridget, he's consistently in his own lane. He never doesn't veer off where maybe someone like a, a Spielberg or, I mean, again, I love Scorsese, but even him where his movies don't same this, uh, share the same language. Um, and with Tarantino, he's consistently like, it's, it's undoubtedly his movie. Yeah. He's an iconoclast and his his films reflect that for for the better and for the worst you know right right cool well i mean i feel like i've gotten all my kind of thoughts out there i was like i cannot do any more of this fucking movie <laughs> no i know it's not that no i just mean we've been, we've been talking for uh, 90 minutes now sorry yeah. i'm flipping over the calendar of february right now <laughs> No, I, I mean, if you guys want to, yeah. you know, have anything else that you wanted to make sure to mention, we can we can totally do that. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I I, I only expected you to come out with it to sort of uh, appreciate, obviously, the craft and the dialogue and the script and the performances and everything. Um, again, it's a very hard movie to swallow. It's a lot to unpack. I mean, you're literally unpacking everyone's fucking. Um, carry on on an airplane pretty much i mean there's that's a lot it's a lot of movie there's a lot of movie here um but like i'm constantly it, digging through the suitcase you're constantly the digging watch. through suitcases and throwing our hair dryers and shit like that um, looking for that watch and i'm just constantly <laughs> digging through this. but um no I, I i can only say that I, I i'm glad that you walked away with it at least saying that it's fine if 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 if, if you had hated it i i mean obviously that's your own opinion and whatever but um, I'm glad that you did at the very least and enjoy it in some respect. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, to, to kind of put a bow on it, I didn't hate it. 
I didn't love it. I was glad when it was over. <laughs> um, not not because it was just like not because it was a chore or anything like that. I was just like, okay, like I'm 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 done. Like I was kind of done with the movie and it was redeemed a bit by the tension and the coolness of the diner scene at the end. Because uh, right. leading up to that, I was getting kind of like, I think when I texted you guys that I had like 20 minutes left, I was kind of at my, well, the end of my rope on that one. Uh, and it picked it back up and, you know, objectively looking at it, you know, there was a lot of things that I liked. Um, but on the whole, I, I guess I could see from the deep dive stuff that we've talked about now, you know, at the end of this episode versus when we first came back from the movie that like make the film um, something that you can truly appreciate if you take the time to, you know, to research it, to look into it, to read up on it, to watch it multiple times and give it those multiple viewings. Um, I just don't know that I ever want to do that. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm, I'm glad to have watched it. I'm glad to like, if someone says like, Oh, Pulp Fiction is my favorite. What do you think? I'll be like, eh, it's all right. It's a little long, and it's uh, the out of order nature of it doesn't make it better. It uh, almost makes it worse. Uh, so, but uh, you know, the Samuel Jackson's great, and Harvey Keitel's great, and Travolta is what it is, and you know, it's fine. Like it's ultimately, it's it's right, fine. right. But I mean, you understand the pedigree of it. You understand why it's put up on the pedestal that it is. That mm. oh, oh, okay, you don't. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, Start a new recording. <laughs> no, I mean, I it's I don't I won't begrudge anybody for saying it's their favorite movie, mostly because I would assume in that it's because they went and they they know all the nuances and they know all the things that you can only glean from seeing it multiple times, from pausing it and looking around scenes, from reading what his interpretations are, what his intentions were, you know, going in and looking at it, maybe scholarly. Uh, if, if so, if, if it's your favorite movie because of that, then I don't fault you for it. I'll never tell someone that they're wrong for thinking it's their favorite movie. Cause I at least get it from that standpoint, but I, I don't, I wouldn't put it in the pantheon of, necessarily it's not a, it's, great yeah. movies and i know i started the second half by saying this but i hear the argument all the time online of you know pulp fiction got screwed at the oscars and i i don't agree <laughs> yeah i listen i know we talked about it a lot about like we, i know we dig deep into some of the uh the details of this movie but i i will agree that this is a surface level movie it's a cool movie that's exactly what it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be read into on a philosophical level there's i'm sure there are film classes of this in santa cruz or wherever the hell but um that um that yeah i there are people out there that are freaks about this movie that are crazy about it they dig into it and they're they're insane about it but for me at the very least it's a surface level very cool movie very well done very well executed with a lot of very good characters memorable characters um with a, a very kick-ass soundtrack and um, again, for me, it's it's a very fun watch, a bite a long, um, but yeah, it does feel like maybe you're watching, uh, you know, five, you know, four or five episodes of a uh, a season of TV that got that got canceled. <laughs> yeah, the pilot was never picked up. The pilot was never picked up. Well, Adam, if you ever want to fight someone at a party and say Forrest Gump should have won Best Picture in 1995. I'll have your back. 
Yes. I'll just, I'll say I don't totally agree, but I technically vote for Shawshank, but I have my friends back. (laughs) So. Oh, right. We didn't even talk about that. I mean, yeah. Okay. I would say between the three, it's, it's, it's Shawshank. Uh, I don't know. I love Forrest Gump because the family favorite, but I would probably have to put Pulp Fiction under uh, Forrest Gump too. So, yeah. I mean, if it's the if I I didn't think about that other one because I only ever hear people say that Pulp Fiction should have beat Forrest Gump, and the other movies in the category aren't part of the discussion. So I didn't even think about it in that context. Um, but this would definitely be below both of both Forrest and Shawshank. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So. But um, cool, man. Listen, I'm glad you finally watched it. I know this is probably the biggest. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll watch uh, Return of the King at some point. Um, but <laughs> that's sorry. So aside, that's the one Lord of the Rings movie I've seen. Oh, that's the one you saw. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I'm a complex being. Wow. Uh, but see, um, I like um, to see things out of order, which is why I'm surprised I didn't like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully, um, you know, I'm glad we took a big bite tonight watching yeah. a bigger a bigger movie, and um, I hope uh, some of the other movies that we watch later on, despite maybe sharing a similar uh, runtime, don't scare uh, any of us away from uh, checking it out. So I'm glad you watched, dude. Yeah, no, I uh, I I am too. Uh, just for the the sake of the conversation. And I think my, my assumption going into it earlier this afternoon of being excited for the discussion, both before and after, I think was probably the highlight of the evening. (laughs) Um, so I mean, take from that what you will, maybe, maybe you guys don't agree. You thought this conversation was terrible listeners or you two, uh, but the movie's Uh, way better than that. I don't know. I'm not trying to compare dialogue here, but, um, yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad I watched it. Good, man. I'm glad. So, Cool. All right. Well, that'll do it then for this week's episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Uh, Remember, you can find every episode of Fine, I'll Watch It every Thursday morning on Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, You can also find us uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, So let us know what you think of of Pulp Fiction. Is it in the upper echelon top pantheon of movies for you? Did it deserve to win the 1995 Academy Award for Best Picture, or should that have gone to Forrest Gump or Shawshank? Um, Are you someone that also has not seen it and finally gave it a shot as a result of this? Uh, Definitely let us know on on Facebook and Twitter, at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, But once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Johnny. I'm Bridget. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 